Hello and welcome back into another episode of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. It's Travis and Ben with you again from Run In in Greenville. Our email address is secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear your comments, questions, and critiques. And let's get started right there. The emails were pouring in this week following our Cohen Roberts interview. And the question on everyone's mind was one thing. What happened at the 400-meter grudge match? Benji, update the people. Absolutely. So, at Furman University, on a warm Sunday afternoon, approximately 15 athletes towed the line in what would be the most epic race in Greenville history. Early favorite... Cohen Roberts took the lead from the gun, only to be passed after 100 meters by Clemson's own John Ward. John Ward would coast in in an easy 52-second 400, (laughs) winning the hallowed slow-twitch 400. It was a pretty epic battle. Now, I noticed one name was not mentioned in that rundown. What is the result for Ben Sessions? Ben Sessions, due to a severe case of apathy and sleep deprivation, was not able to make the race. As the night before, about 1 a.m., I was finishing a 15-mile run over at the Upstate Ultra's Knock on Wood 24-hour relay. I uh, ran with my brother and some of his friends and their team, the Purple Flying Hippo Ponies. Shout out to them for placing third overall in that relay. Heck of a performance from the Pony Hippos. Now, I got myself into a little racing action of my own this week. Ooh, spicy. Yeah, a little unexpected effort Saturday evening. Walked up to the Greek Festival, downtown Greenville. Always a great event. Decided it was time to load up on some Greek food. Sprinkling a little bit when I got there, didn't think much of it. Got in line, got all of the Mediterranean treats that one could want, both for the dinner and the dessert. Several portions for each, let's not kid ourselves. And as I moved through the line for the Greek donuts, the Lukamades, I believe they call them. It's a little slice of heaven, I think, is what that translates to. It's a cinnamon and honey-covered donut. It is something special. Lightning thunder come down from the heavens. So, I decide we're going to box everything up. We're going to wrap it all up in bags. I'm sprinting home. As I leave the Greek festival, hit the first traffic light. There's a family in front of me. They've already hit the crosswalk. The light's getting ready to change. I get right into their slipstream for just a minute, draft right into the intersection, and then swing it out wide. I really kind of slingshot the curve around them right into the traffic. I decided I got to make my move. It got strategic early in in my route home. So I'm going to make my move and just hammer. We're going downhill now. It's starting to flood a little bit. I turned it on at about the 600 meter mark, and my split from 600 to a K is undoubtedly among the five fastest post-Greek festival downhill rainy mile performances in recent memory. I got down to the intersection at Richardson and McBee. 
threw in a little surge there just to make sure I could hit the crosswalk before the light changed. Really timed things up nicely strategically with the one-way streets. At about the K mark, I think I got a little too content with my performance. I eased off the gas a little bit as I moved down towards the Reedy River, and I could see the protection and warmth of the Academy Street overpass on the Swamp Rabbit Trail, knowing that it would be in a drier section. And I think mentally I checked out for about 50 meters there. and As we all do. Yeah, I, honestly, I have to admit, it rested on my laurels a bit. And the one thing I would take back, I would make a little earlier move at about 1,200. Hmm. Because I moved, I made my last left turn at about 1,250, and I got into a little muddy patch that probably took a little bit of the luster off of what otherwise was a true gem of a performance. Got home, soaked, really pleased with my sprint. I don't think I could replicate it under any conditions. And most importantly, mowed my way through $39 worth of Greek food in about 15 minutes. Wow. So a pretty special race for me. I'm not one to back down from a grudge match like some other guys here. So I put it all on the line, and I think I was rewarded. There was other racing action, though, this weekend. It was, was not, not just Ben and I. Adidas Boost Boston this weekend. This is a really neat event that I, I've become a big fan of. They put it out on Charles Street on an elevated straightaway track right there by Boston Common. and For, for the sprints, that is, right there on Boston Common. And we saw a world record in the sprints, 150-meter world record from Shawnee Miller-Weibo of the Bahamas. She has been off to an impressive start this year and look forward to seeing her next week. I believe she's actually up in the 400 at Prefontaine Classic. Benji, what did you see in the distance events in Boston? Yeah, so in the 3,000, we saw kind of a lackluster race of uh, just kind of poor conditions. It was cold and rainy during the 3000, and we saw a large African presence in that race, uh, the winning time being a mediocre 749. But I'd love to be mediocre. Absolutely. But, go ahead. but in the mile race, we saw 10-man elite and seconds flat favorite Drew Hunter win the mile in 56.7, closing in 55 low. This is an outdoor PR for Hunter, and what's super impressive about this is he beat Olympic medalist from New Zealand, Nick Willis, and then Great Britain's Olympic qualifier, Chris O'Hare. And both those guys have been a little banged up lately, but still, 356-7 over two pretty good runners, a good sign of progress for Drew Hunter. And in the rain. Better conditions for the sprints the following day. It was warm, there was a chance of thunderstorms, but it held off. And a good weekend of running up in Boston at the Adidas Boost Boston. Also last week, the USA Track and Field Distance Classic, uh, which is held on the campus of Occidental College, so it's often just referred to as Oxy, was held. And it is traditionally one of the big spring tune-ups on the way to the summer track circuit. And it was a bit of a breakthrough for our old friend, Matthew Centrowitz. Centro won his heat in the 1500, closed his 1500 last lap in a 54 low, and he did that doubling off of a season's best in the 800. 
So, I guess question for discussion, Benji. Is he shaking off some of the rust of a lost 2017 campaign? Yes, absolutely. He's taking strides in the right direction. And what's funny is he took to social media afterwards and posted a picture of him flexing, saying he's back. So it's nice to see Centro back with his, like, Centro mojo, feeling confident and winning again. And hopefully getting back to that 2016 form when he was 1,500-meter gold medalist at the Olympics. So speaking of the 1,500, the big performance for me for the night came from the A section. Centro won the B section. And that was Johnny Gregoric who took the win in that race. You may remember him from last year's World Championships as being the surprise American to make the 1,500-meter final. So he ran 3.36, which is not too far off of his PR. He took a lot of confidence from this and was super excited. In his post-race interview, he was talking about next week's Prefontaine-Bowerman mile, in which he said, I want to run something really fast. And this is coming from a guy who's ran 3.53. So I'm excited to see what he can do for sure. Yeah, hopefully he sets out on an honest pace. I would note he's not in the original entrance list for the Bowerman Mile at the Prefontaine Classic, but sure hope he is in the updated list when we see that in the coming days and out there racing. So let's go ahead and look ahead to the Prefontaine Classic, one of the great events of the year. Probably the biggest track meet on American soil for professionals as the Diamond League comes to Eugene, Oregon. There are a ton of stacked events at Pre this year. We're going to focus in, though, on a few of the distance events, in particular the mile races. We have a tasty little appetizer in the International Mile. Drew Hunter, who we mentioned earlier, gets his rematch from the Drake Relays with Eric Avila. Our boy, Eric Avila. Yes, sir. And Eric, if you are out there listening, I want to let you know right now, we have a Seconds Flat podcast kit with your name written all over it. We want to see you in the Seconds Flat running podcast singlet. You would look beautiful, my friend. Also in the International Mile, Brody Hasty, future Oregon Duck, will make an attempt at a sub-four performance as a high schooler. And then, later in the afternoon, we get the main course, the Bowerman Mile. Loaded field. We already mentioned Matthew Centrowitz will be there. Clayton Murphy as well. He had a down campaign in 2017 also, but he's coming off his best 800 performance of the year in Shanghai recently. And so the Olympic medalist in the 800 steps into the Bowerman Mile. We have the international man of mystery miler, Ben Blankenship, as well, who always seems to show up for championship races. Jacob Ingebrigtsen, the young sensation from Norway, who has a 356 high PR, will step into the Bowerman Mile. This has PR potential for him. Can he challenge the mark that Alan Webb set as a high schooler of 353 in the mile? And another youngster to look out for, Samuel Tefera of Ethiopia, the 1,500-meter indoor world champion from this past season, will be in the Bowerman Mile as well. Also, the two-mile the night before is loaded. Ben, we're going to go through that two-mile field. Some of my favorite athletes are in this race. First one I want to talk about is Mo Ahmed, a Wisconsin graduate who represents Canada. He's coming off of an awesome beginning to his outdoor season by getting two silver medals at the Commonwealth Games. 
over the 5,000 and 10,000 meter distances. Then we have American favorite Paul Chalimo, who has medaled at the last two world championships in the 5K, running uh, 13.03 as his personal best. He recently set a 1,500-meter personal best at Peyton Jordan. Now that he has some wheels, it'll be excited to see that combined with a strength at the two-mile distance. We also have Skechers athlete and NCAA world record holder for the most <laughs> titles won, Edward Cheserek. After an amazing indoor season, it'll be awesome to see him go to head-to-head with some big names. Then we have Ben True, the blue-collar boy out of New Hampshire. Love me some Ben True. Who doesn't? He just came off his awesome half-marathon debut. And we also have local favorite Ryan Hill, who grew up in Hickory, North Carolina, and graduated from NC State. He'll be representing the Bowerman Track Club in the race as well. So great field there and Perhaps we see an attempt on the American two-mile record in that event. Dare we say. Also on the track, we have the women's 1500. So we'll get to see Jenny Simpson again. Jenny is having an incredible season. Many of the top American mid-distance runners will be there. Shelby Houlihan for her to compete against. So that'll be a fun event to watch as well. Uh, The shot put has all the top Americans in it. So that'll be fun in the field events. Coverage for the pre-classic, NBC Sports Network, Friday evening, the 25th, at 11 p.m. Eastern. So if you're on the East Coast like us, that is a late-night pizza and pineapple juice. And the following afternoon on NBC from 4 to 6 on Saturday, the 26th, we will see coverage continue with some of the prime events. Also this weekend, it is NCAA Regional Prelim Weekend. The East prelim will be at the University of South Florida in Tampa. The West will be at Sacramento State in Sacramento, California. And that's happening Thursday, the 24th of May through Saturday, the 26th. And Ben, we also have D2 action, correct? Yes, we actually have it fairly local. The D2 National Championships is being held in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we want to give a special shout out to the student-athletes at North Greenville University, Southern Wesleyan University, and Limestone College who made the meet. Best of luck to you guys. Yep, great luck to everybody there. Congratulations on incredible seasons. And we will be back next week to wrap up all that action from pre-classic as well as a look ahead to the NCAA championships in Division One. But for now, let's move to our special guest interview for the week. A dear friend of mine a notorious long-run pace pusher and lover of food, Ricky Flynn. All right, we are excited to welcome in NCAA champion, 213 marathoner and professional triathlete, Ricky Flynn. Ricky, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It is our pleasure. So, been big news for you lately. This weekend was the professional debut as a triathlete at Ironman 70.3 in Chattanooga. First, could you give us a little uh, background on what that event looks like? Yeah, so actually it was literally yesterday. So that was my first uh, professional race as a triathlete um, after earning my pro card from my experience at the Chattanooga 70.3 World Championships back in September. But basically, uh, for those that aren't familiar with uh, what 70.3 technically is, so it's a 1.2 mile swim into a 56 mile bike and then ending with a half marathon run so that's what i did yesterday at chattanooga my first race able to compete with the professionals Um, so it's actually 
quite different um, how everything works and the ins and outs of competing as an age grouper versus a professional. Um, so I learned a lot. You know, I'll hopefully get better and better each time I do it. But uh, it was a good experience, a good overall atmosphere and stuff like that in Chattanooga. So it went pretty well to start, I guess. Yeah, cool. So you said the goal is to keep getting better and better, and it went well to start. Give the people yeah, a little yeah. idea of how it went yesterday. Well, I mean, I guess the goal is always to improve, right, as a person, yeah. as, a, as an athlete especially. But, um, yeah, so yesterday I went into it. I always kind of give myself higher higher expectations probably than I like to share with most people. But um, I wanted to be competitive in the pro field from the start. And I don't know if necessarily being on the podium or, or even in the prize money or, or top 10, what it would necessarily would have been. But I just wanted to be competitive there as a professional for the first time. And I, I feel like I accomplished that goal. I didn't finish as high as I really wanted to. I was able to get 15th overall. But, you know, there's a there was a lot of good things that happened. And um, one of the most probably encouraging things is I was able to finish 15th with a really bad run split for myself. So when I can actually use my strength in a good way, I think I can improve a lot, drop a lot of time, um, and move up in, in that pro field. So, um, But, you know, I had one of my best swim splits I've ever had in a 70.3. I've had, I had my best bike split I ever had. And unfortunately, the run didn't go as well, but there's some things that led to that and things I can work on and um, something I plan on doing, hopefully, for the next one. So so even with a run split that you weren't excited about, it's still a over 10-minute improvement from last fall there. It is, and, and there's a few reasons for that. They did slightly different courses, um, so the bike course was a little bit easier. We didn't go up over Lookout Mountain, um, and then the swim course was more downstream than it was at Worlds. And actually, the run course was a little bit easier, too, and I, I still ran slower. But um, at this time of year, um, with the heat and stuff like that, we've really only had probably two less than two weeks of actual hot weather here in Greenville, in my opinion. And I've probably only run in above 70-degree weather once or twice. So when it got to be basically me coming off the bike yesterday, and it was already 80 degrees, nearly 100% humidity, after my best swim split, after my best bike split, add all those things up it's not really good favor that you're going to have a good run split and um i didn't but uh i was able to fight through it and hang on and have a respectable split but you know usually i can go about five minutes faster than that and um that's something i hope i can cater towards next time so to build on that it still was wasn't it the third fastest run split of the day i think you're right yeah i think i was looking at that and i actually looked at the results when i was uh heading back to the hotel and i was I was pretty upset. I wasn't the fastest run split when I <laughs> when I looked at it, but to be still the third fastest run split after feeling like I did, nearly getting to the point where I was almost walking because I was cramping mm-hmm. so bad. Um, that's definitely an upside to that. So, and and the split that you put up last fall was pretty great. I mean, yeah. to set that as the bar. Yeah, that closed was... in one eleven for a half marathon last year. <laughs> yeah, that the the, um, the race at Worlds was uh, a little bit cooler. It also, was, it was in September, so I had the whole summer to kind of prepare in yeah. the heat and get used to it. But yeah, um, slightly different circumstances, but I, I mean, I feel like even when I ran the 71, to be honest, I, I was a little bit conservative because all those 70.3s I'd done prior to that, I had cramping issues and dehydration issues. So I played it really safe until about probably like 10 miles into that run last year, and, and then I started picking it up a little bit. But I got to the end and I felt great. No cramping issues, no nothing. So I think I 
probably could have flirted with 70 minutes if I really gambled. Yeah, two pieces uh, that I pick up from this that you've already laid out for folks that I think are really great just for the average runner who's out there. One is earlier talking about the goals that you set compared to maybe what you share with everybody else out yeah. there. And, and, and I think that having high but attainable goals is really what pushes success for a lot of folks regardless of their level of competition. But also the way you just described that half marathon to finish 70.3 last year and waiting to mile 10 to push because for a lot of age group runners the half marathon can be a forgiving race more so than some other distances if you're a little more conservative early on and i know that at your level that maybe is a little different your approach to it but i think that's often generally good advice to really try to make that last 5k the fastest stretch of the race oh yeah yeah you can um you can feel really good at the end of a half marathon if you pace correctly and you and you hold off and you wait and and time it so that you're feeling good the last 5k you can also do it the opposite way where if you go out too hard that last 5k is painful have you been um, there i've been there numerous yeah, times um, been unfortunately. There. <laughs> uh, the half marathon is a tough event and uh when you put it the put it at the end of a 56 mile bike and a 1.2 mile swim it becomes just a little bit harder yeah um so yeah <laughs> and, and that performance by ricky last uh, fall in chattanooga was an age group world championship in the 30 to 34 year old age group which is really impressive now if i read the results correct four hours and one second is that right (laughs) yeah um in my defense in my defense as track athletes we all you know get smacked at some point in our time Mm -hmm. in our careers especially when you're running on the track with the camera and stuff like that but yeah i in my defense though my watch said 359.59 (laughs) and i i will show you if you want yeah it said it and um i brought it up more because i I just wanted to think about how that motivates you what that means to you going forward yeah i mean um triathlon is a little bit different in terms of time versus like track and and stuff like that because it's not quite the same um there's different totally different courses conditions upstream downstream you know lake swims river swims so like time is not really much of a um, factor in triathlon but it is it is time and you are seeking a PR no matter Mm -hmm. what you're doing so my goal when I got into this like you know based on what I thought I could do and stuff has always been to first I want to break four you know break Mm -hmm. four hours and then I'll you know start getting hopefully faster and faster so um, you know I, I went I went under four hours last year or two years I guess it was a little over a year ago at Atlantic City, 70.3, but that was a shortened swim um, because of weather conditions. So that didn't really count. So the fact that I was able to be really close to it yesterday um, is a good sign. I'm a little upset I didn't quite get under it, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. It's about racing first. It's about racing first, yeah, yeah and time comes later, especially in this sport. So, um, Although, <laughs> I honestly, I think I could have gone under four, but it was a little bit late when I realized I was even close. I saw the clock at like 359.55, and I was like, uh, if I like sprint, I'll probably like catch a cramp or something. <laughs> so I was like, uh, but then I stopped my watch, and I was like, oh, I got it. But I was like, there's no way the results will say that. Cool. Well, congratulations. Great performance Thank yesterday. Yeah. Stepping aside a bit from the triathlon specifics, as far as what you've already accomplished, you were a stud on the roads, on the cross-country course, and on the track. Could you explain your transition from those to the triathlon and how that decision came about? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
Yeah, so out of college, um, you know, mainly 5K, 10K guy um, on the track. Um, really, probably my strength was cross country, to be honest. And then first year out of college, I got back on the track, um, lowered my PRs in the 5K and 10K, and that was going really well. And um, decided that fall to jump into a half marathon to see if I could qualify for the Olympic trials since that cycle was coming up, and I figured, why not? So I trained for that, and it went really well. I was able to run um, 64.15 at my um, at the one I tried to qualify at, which set me up to qualify for the 2012 Olympic trials and the marathon. But then I started doing the marathon and whatnot. Um, and you know, to make this go quicker than a long ass story, but um, <laughs> I started doing marathons, and because I did so well at the at the trials and things like that. And then injury after injury after injury after injury led me to basically pursue the sport of triathlon. So the straw that kind of broke the camel's back was when I qualified for the 16 trials in the marathon. And then I got about two weeks out from the marathon and I got hurt. So when that happened, I told myself I'm going to get healthy and I'm going to, I'm going to go into triathlon. I'm going to give it a shot and see how it goes. And uh, from then on is pretty much been the focus has been triathlon. So awesome. So in the fall, you ran the Richmond Marathon. Um, could you explain from that point to this weekend a timeline for us, like what training looked like and like how you got focused on that race or any races leading up? Sure, yeah. Um, so I did uh, the 70.3 Worlds as an age grouper in September of 17. And then I came off of that, um, used that fitness to do one final triathlon in October, which was part of the South Carolina Triathlon Series, and ended on a really good note there. And then I decided, I was like, well, I'm super fit. I'm in great shape. Let's see what I can do in a marathon, you know, because even though I'm pursuing triathlon, I've never really given up on, like, trying to do the marathon. I know I'm probably, well, I'm pretty sure I'm never going to run what I've run before, (laughs) But I would like to at least continue to qualify for the Olympic trials um, as long as I can. So, you know, having two Olympic trials qualifiers in and then the window being open now for the third one, that's something I want to pursue as well as the triathlon. So, yeah, so I I picked out Richmond because it just worked out time-wise. I had about six weeks from uh, the last, that that, that triathlon I did in October to Richmond to kind of cater my training towards the marathon um so six six week build up off of tri fitness um threw in some long runs threw in some marathon workouts and just tried to stay as healthy as i could um up my mileage just a little bit and then jumped into richmond and uh and went for it and it uh it didn't end so well but um there's a lot of things i could have done better that day and i think i'm definitely capable of running um under that trials standard if i can uh get it right next time so and do you have a an idea of a location you got a race in mind you're targeting to to go for the standard i mean if everything works out i was um probably going to do another fall marathon like i did last year after the tri season richmond's a possibility um i would like to go back there try to get the victory since i was second last year um that'd be cool but not necessarily decided on that there's also um a couple other marathons in the fall um Detroit Marathon, there's CIM in December, and a couple other November, I think Philly Marathon. So something relatively close, maybe, except for CIM, I guess would be kind of far, but I haven't really thought about it. The plan is to kind of get through the tri season, through the fall, and then just kind of see how healthy I am and how fit I am, and then hopefully 
pick one out. So, Well, if you want advice on how to blow up at CIM, come back and I'll give that to you in another episode. <laughs> I could ask my brother that as well. <laughs> okay. So let's get into the 2012 trials. 213.41, 12th place. For the people listening, to give you some context, this year among Americans, only one American has actually run faster so far this year, Galen really? Rupp at Prague. Describe the race. <laughs> You're testing my uh, memory now. But <laughs> that was about six years ago, so um, I'm an old man now compared to then. It was just a great day overall. You know, I went into it never having run a marathon. Um, I was only 24 years old, so I was just a kid. No one really knew who I was or why I was there, and I qualified with the half marathon, so I had really no expectations on in terms of what I was capable of doing in the marathon. So I just really went into it with the the mentality I was going to enjoy the experience and you know I was going to just let it rip on race day and whatever happened happened so went out pretty conservative um for the race you know I think I came through halfway well I take that back I went out pretty conservative for about 10k and then I just you know the racing mentality um just everything kind of took over my mind took over and I just started racing and I think I came through halfway around 67 20 and then I was able to uh, come back at the second half in 66.20 to run 213.40. So, you know, I just basically took like each mile, just like get to the next mile, get to the next mile. And um, after the first few miles at like around, I can't remember exact the pace, but I went into the race hoping to run like on a 217 on a really good day. Um, but I figured I could run at least 218 or 219. So I think I went out at that pace, you know, somewhere between 5.10 and 5.20 pace and um, just felt really good and relaxed. And and after about, you know, I'd say somewhere between like 8 and 10K, I started just like losing focus on running that pace and just started racing and just basically spent the entire rest of that race just going from pack to pack, picking guys off and um, just running. I would catch a pack and run with them for like, 200 meters and then I would get impatient and I would just go and uh that's pretty much how I spent like from miles like six to to 22 just going from pack to pack and picking guys off and uh never really slowing down during the race um I think my fastest miles were somewhere between like 19 and 22 I had a few under five minutes and then after about 22 miles it was just a matter of just maintaining that form and that fitness and uh I uh, was able to close pretty much right on pace and um caught a few more guys the last few miles so yeah it was it was a good day I mean I couldn't ask for a better day um it it set up you know a lot of hope and dreams for myself but uh you know it is what it is so looking back on the training leading up to that can you recall for us any of the specifics any of the workouts the the kind of cornerstones of that build up to the trials knowing it was your first time at that distance and to be that successful yeah, yeah. Um, I can't really remember anything like specific workout wise, but what I do remember is that training block was like the most intense and long, I guess, higher mileage training block I had ever done. So coming off of the half marathon that I qualified for, which was in October of 2011, you know, I took a little bit of time to recover from that. And then I was like, well, I qualified. Now I got at least like train my butt off to try and do as well as I can in, in uh, February. So um, I took those next three or four months and just really pushed it, pushed my body to new limits. Um, 
up the mileage a lot and uh, increase the volume of workouts and stuff like that. So I was hitting, you know, higher mileage than I ever had done before. And uh, I'm trying to think of some specific workouts, but it's hard. I, I do remember like doing a lot of 110 to 115 mile weeks and um, doing them on singles and with a day off with a little bit of swimming as cross training. And, um, but doing a lot of just hard long runs. Um, so I would go out there with a, a friend of mine and he would run, you know, the first 10 miles with me and then I would drop him off at home and then I would just go hammer another 10 <laughs> miles and then I would keep going stuff like that. Doing a lot of like, uh, a lot of hill tempo combination workouts. So, um, where I was living at the time had a nice, uh, bike path wish I could get like there was a good mile or two incline on it so I would just go out there and do some like 800 meter repeats up the hills and then do a few of those throw in like a two or three mile tempo do some more hills and then another two or three mile tempo Um, a lot of stuff like that kind of changing it up not a whole lot of track workout a little bit towards the end just testing the fitness doing some intervals on the track to see how fit I was Um, but just like tons of mileage um, lots of hard tempo runs Um, lots of hill work and stuff like that so just stuff that really makes you fit I wasn't like extremely sharp back then but I was just super fit so yeah so as you said earlier you were a pretty young pup when you went to the Olympic trials how early in your career did either the trials in general or more specifically the marathon trials become a goal of yours um, like I said, I, I think I was 24 when I ran the trials. I don't think I ever thought about the marathon until maybe I was 23. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I, so I, I went to college for five years because I had an extra year of eligibility. So I was, I guess, 22 when I finished college or finished my eligibility. And then um, that next year I was focusing on the track. And then now the year after that was the marathon. So um you know, coming out of college, I just hoped to uh, increase the 5K and 10K PRs. And then it just so happened to be a cycle for the trials. And I was like, well, I'd love to qualify for the Olympic trials. I don't care if it's on the track or on the roads. Mm-hmm. So that opportunity came about and I took advantage of it. And unfortunately, it, it kind of set me up to never really able, be able to get back to the track because I've become... I basically forced myself because of that performance to become a marathoner because it was, in my opinion, something I had the highest ceiling at. So I just pursued that for the next three or four years um, until I made the transition to triathlon. So speaking about college, for our listeners who don't know, Ricky was the 2009 NCAA D3 cross-country champion and was a seven-time All-American so we already tested your memory a little bit. I'm going to test it a little bit more because you've told me this story on runs. Walk us through your last mile of the race where you won your national title. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So like Ben said, I was uh, the 2009 cross-country national champion, which was my fifth year of college. Um, I came back because I had eligibility from getting injured prior years. So the whole goal, the whole reason I came back for fifth year was to win a national title. Um, whether that be in cross-country or track, uh, you know, I really wanted to be in cross country, but it, I would have taken either one. So um, let's not get picky when it comes to national exactly, championships exactly. here, right? But uh, so that summer, going into my my um, fifth year, you know, that summer went really well training wise. I was uh, much you know more mature in terms of a runner than I had been like the years prior in college. Um, was really fit. Um, you know, 
healthy and everything like that. And, uh, the training went really good during the year. Um, and you know, I got to the race and the whole goal all year long was to win no matter who showed up, no matter what kind of shape I was in, I was going to go for the win no matter what, because that was the whole reason I came back to school. So, you know, we're getting into the, into the race and, uh, there's the favorite whose name is Peter Kosge, a Kenyan from a, a school called Hamilton College in New York, um, was the clear favorite. I think he had won, I think he won the year before that, and he was like second the year before that or something like that. He was just a stud guy, just like eight, I think he ran like 840 in the steeplechase, and um, you know, he could run anything from like 147 to like 14 minutes in the 5K, and he had quite quite the range. Um so basically what happened was from the start is everyone kind of gave him that that victory I think from the starting line where except for myself we, the pack kind of stayed a little bit back and he he went out hard and I just went right with him and just stayed like right about 10 meters back from him almost the entire race and we got you know we're getting mile by mile by mile and we're getting further and further away from the pack and it's just him and I kind of separated and uh we um at some point during the race i kind of started second guessing myself i was like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to catch him um but i just kept grinding and kept grinding and kept grinding and um i knew the last about k of the race was was a a climb up a hill and then you had like a 200 meter flat finish so i just kept telling myself to hang on keep him in sight keep him in sight and i could tell every turn he was looking back at me i think about maybe about a half mile no, probably more like 1,200 meters to go. Um, I had seen my brother at the time, and I don't know how he did it, but I saw him like at least a dozen times during that race. <laughs> I think he might have ran more than I did. But he's like yelling and screaming at me, and he's like, he said something specific at the time, and it was like something about the cadence of uh, of Kosgi in front of me. He's like, you know, he's like, he's dying. His cadence is, is slowing. He's like, you look great. And he's like, you got to take him now. So, um, I started building that gap a little bit and as we're going up the hill you know started just he started creeping back to me a little bit and uh we get towards the to crest the top of the hill and I'm I'm right on his shoulder and all I'm thinking is man I'm like I got like a quarter mile to go I'll just keep fighting just keep pushing as hard as I can and I start cresting up onto him on his shoulder and I'm expecting him to respond you know I'm like oh this guy's just gonna respond and I'll kick me so I I, I pass him and I put a step on him, and all I'm thinking is like, man, I like, when is he gonna move? Like, when is he just gonna blow my doors off? And I just kept hammering and hammering, and uh, next thing I know, I'm crossing the finish line, and he's he's like not even really in sight. And uh, um, it was one of the greatest moments of my career, and uh, just a dream come true, and something I'll never forget for sure. Is that was there anything I left out in that story? No, I feel like, no, no, you nailed um, it. It's awesome. Yeah, that was a fantastic uh, championship story, Ricky. Okay, let's go ahead and uh, move on now to the bell lap. Some rapid-fire questions for Ricky Flynn here. All right, Ricky, what shoes are you training in right now? <laughs> um, I split time between um, Hoka's and uh, you want specific shoes? If you got the model, we'd okay. love it. So I wear the Clifton. Yeah. Um, for a lot of my long runs and sometimes on workouts i wear the clayton um mm-hmm. for my more speeder like workout days or faster days and then my easy runs i typically do in just a general uh stability shoe from you know anything from the brooks adrenaline to the uh the guide from saucony or um 
occasionally like the 2000 series from Asics, something like that. Just something middle of the line, adrenaline, um, stability shoe. So I kind of switch back and forth from like a, a neutral shoe to a stability shoe to help kind of keep my feet guessing. So Okay. Uh, first thing you crave to eat after a big race. Oh, man. Um, and for those who are listening, he can eat a lot. It's <laughs> insane. Well, yeah, I, I do eat a lot in my defense. I, I burn a ton of calories yeah. throughout the day. Um, I, I don't know what the very first thing is, but because, you know, sometimes after a race you get that kind of uh, tempo tummy feeling. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I would love, like, at any point in time, a milkshake of some kind. Uh, um, that's on point. I'm yeah, with you so there. Milkshake. <laughs> Not quite, probably the best thing to eat right after a race with the, with the tempo tummy, but um, yeah, I could probably do it either way. Yeah, cool. Like a Dairy Queen Blizzard or something. Yeah. Uh, average hours of sleep per night? Uh, during the week, probably close to seven to eight if I'm lucky. Um, and then on the weekends when I have a little bit more time to sleep in, I'm probably getting eight to nine. Who's your sports idol? Sports idol, huh? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, it's kind of cliche to say Prefontaine, but you know, growing up, I, I enjoyed reading about him, watching movies on him, and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I can't really say anyone specific besides him. Okay. Um, it's kind of cliche, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, what are you watching on Netflix right now? Uh, I just finished Black Lightning. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I have it's not. Tell me about new. it. It's a it's a show. It's like another superhero show, kind of like the, all the Marvel ones, but it's with the it's uh, I don't know his name. Is he's in um, he's in Friday Night Lights. He's the father of the uh, of Michael B. Jordan. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And he's also in. We're gonna Google this guy and find out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's also in Heart of Dixie, um, which is kind of one of my favorite shows on Netflix. Which I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit, <laughs> but it's it's a quality show. Um, he's he's one of the main characters in that show, and uh, yeah. So I just finished that one. Um, but I'm I'm hoping to start the new season of Thirteen Reasons Why pretty soon. So. Okay, I just finished it. Ugh. Heavy stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a good one. So cool. And uh, what advice would you give someone who's struggling with injury? You've mentioned uh, some injury issues for you. What what advice would you give somebody who's been in your spot? Well, first off, if you, if you're struggling with injury, try to you know try to fix it physically first. You know, see a physical therapist or see a doctor. You know, get get the problem fixed but if it's something that's just like bad luck or you know overuse injuries things like that obviously you can change things to hopefully that they don't happen again but my biggest advice is just to keep believing and just you know I've been injured I can't even count how many times and it's just one of those things where you have to kind of accept it with like the sport and just kind of live with it and you know deal with it in your own way but just get through it because if you can get through it you know the other side of the once you get hopefully healthy and stuff like that, it's just worth it to to know you come from not being able to run to getting back in shape and that whole cycle. So, so you're a man with a glorious core. Uh, I've seen you do some crazy stuff, <laughs> specifically referring to these planks, these mythical planks that you do. <laughs> what is the longest time you have held a plank? Just a straight plank without like going on my side or at all. We'll or? say alternating if you. If you needed to, just staying in a plank position, whether straight oh, or on the side. I don't know. I, I've been known to plank for, you know, 30, 40 minutes, you know, alternating. I um, love how casually you said that. Um, but no, it's not like just straight in the one position, you know, I change it up and you do different things. But uh, but you're still planking. Still planking in some form, yeah. Um, I, I, I truly believe core is one of the 
most important things for not only a runner, but especially for a triathlete between swimming and just being on the bike and stuff like that. I mean, to be honest, when I'm in aero position, I'm, I literally feel like I'm planking. So like, you know, I'm getting down I'm, when I'm doing a plank, like as training, I'm like, I feel like I'm in the aero position. So it's got to help at some point, I feel like. Uh, Ricky, thanks so much for coming in. I loved your stories and great perspective on competition too, that I think a lot of people can take a great deal from. Definitely. Yeah. So Ricky Flynn, NCAA champion, 213 marathoner, professional triathlete. We are going to be back next week with full coverage of the Prefontaine Classic and our ranking of the most iconic moments in Hayward Field history. Until then, this has been Mile 3 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Thanks for listening, and as always, you can email us at secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week.